When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, what's going on? Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Let's kick it off with a little bit of gratitude. And today I am grateful for the people in my life. You know, I'm grateful for the friendships that I have and just my support network because the amazing thing about this journey is we never have to do it alone. I used to think that, you know, as I grew up that, you know, I was a big girl, got to put on my big girl panties and do everything by myself. And I just really appreciate that that's not the case, right? Uh, We weren't meant to be on this planet to do things alone or else there wouldn't be so many people here. So I am grateful today for those that are around me that I get to share this journey with you guys included. But uh, that's what I got. And if you want to send in your gratitude, make sure you do so. Let us know who you are, what you do, what you're grateful for and why. And you can send that off to Tamar at theroadforward.ca and we will get you on to, the one, on to let's learn how to speak English here, onto one of the future episodes. So today I'm really excited because we're chatting with my friend Alex Bales and he shares his story of overcoming addiction and how he drank to not have to cope, which are many of us, right? A lot of us drink because of our inability to handle our emotions. And so, of course, we drink, we stop growing and hopefully we make it to a world of sobriety, which is so amazing. And we learn how to deal with life on life's term again. So we talked about what that journey was like, what early recovery looked like for him. He is a personal trainer. So we talk about how we got into that career and how he's now entering into the coaching world as a result of his experience, which I think is such a gift because I know that had I not had the experience that I had, I may not be doing what I do today and I couldn't imagine doing anything else to be honest. And we also talk about using your darkness as your greatest asset. So I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we are live. I'm hanging out with Alex Bales today. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here to chat with us today and share your story. So for those that don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do today? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, from Valparaiso, Indiana, which is um, right up in the northwest corner, right near Chicago, about 45 minutes away. Um, And I've got two different businesses going on. So I'm an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur. Uh, My entrepreneurship is I work for a gym and I have a full-time personal training business that I run in person. Um, And that's at like a clinical facility. We've got a fitness center, a spa, everything like that. It's very nice. Um, And so I've been doing that for about two and a half years or so. And then I'm an entrepreneur. I run my online um, recovery coaching business. My niche is people who are 90 plus days sober, looking to reinvent themselves and go on a health and wellness journey to find health and joy in their life. 
Oh, I love that. I know that's my passion too. And I love that you've niched it down so, or niche. We could, you know, it's the niche niche thing. Um, (laughs) Down to that 90 days, because I think that's such an important area in recovery where a lot of people will fall off. So, you know, with you and your story, what was it like growing up for you and what led to your own addiction? Yeah, I've got a really, really long story. So I'll try and condense it as much as I can. Um, So as a kid growing up, I was really, really shy, really insecure, really intuitive and empathic. I used to um, go out to the bus stop and I actually used to cry when I would get on the bus. Um, I used to get sent to the school social worker because I would go to class and um, I would cry. I would take longer to finish all my assignments because I was scared to make mistakes. So I was always just this super shy and and sensitive kid. it became kind of problematic because I didn't quite fit in with all the other kids and what they were doing, um, especially when it came to hanging out with a lot of the young boys. They were very into um, like doing playing with like the cars and um, Legos and things like that. And that was never really my thing. Um, so that became kind of problematic as a, at a very young age. And, um, you know, moving forward from there, we happened to find out that I was just a, just generally a very good athlete growing up. So. I started out playing sports. Um, I got involved in basketball and I got asked to play on an AAU team. So I started traveling every single weekend around um, the Midwest to tournaments. Then I took to baseball, kind of the same story. So then I would spend my entire summers traveling around as a kid for baseball, playing on travel teams and at college exposure tournaments. And then in seventh grade, I also took up football as well. Um, And I had never played before, but I ended up really, really excelling in it. And it became my favorite sport. So things were going really well for me at that point in my life. I got into high school. And as a freshman, I went to a big high school that puts out a lot of really high level athletes. There's even some that have played professional that have come out of my high school. So um, it's very rare for freshmen and soft freshmen and sophomores to be on varsity. But I was one of four freshmen, I believe it was, that was on varsity football as a freshman. Um, and I came up as a quarterback, but as time went on, there was a kid that was a year older than me and he was very, very good. And, um, so they switched me actually over to defense. And around this time I started to deal with some pretty, um, traumatic stuff. So, you know, a lot of the, the kids were, were able to brush this off, but I know that it was problematic for others and it was. Um, I had a coach that was extremely verbally and um, emotionally abusive, not just to me, but like I said, to to a lot of the other kids as well. And so ironically, around this time when I started to struggle, this individual also took the job as the head baseball coach. So I'm dealing with this person in both sports. And so um, I'm moving forward and, you know, things were good as long as I was serving my purpose and making this individual look good. But the moment that things didn't go well, Um, he would berate me and come after me and a lot of the other kids. Um, And so, you know, essentially I kind of developed my own form of PTSD. And and so I would actually freeze. It felt like I was playing sports in quicksand. I was scared to make a mistake and I couldn't move. And to make a long story short, my performance got so bad that I actually ended up getting benched as a junior in both baseball and football. My mental health got so bad that um, I didn't even play football my senior year. 
And my parents, because my parents got to a point where they were like, we're either going to go in and, and talk to admin and, and this coach, or you can't, you can't keep moving forward like this. Because like, I went from being a straight A student my whole life and an honor roll student to getting moved into all the trap three classes and the slow classes. I was going to school and just putting my head down all day. I felt detached from my body. And when I, when you're 18 years old, like you're super impressionable. So you don't know how to deal with these things. And so I was really just a lost soul at that point. Um, and so I finished up, you know, my high school career. I, I still played baseball as a senior. And at that point, I started drinking for the first time. So I can remember I went to um, my best friend at the time. I went to his house and I remember he pulled out the, the vodka out of his parents' cupboard. And that was my first time ever drinking. And the irony of it all is that I was the kid who was against drinking my entire had never used at all. I thought it was crazy. Um, I was I was very um, I was pretty religious at that point in time, and and had come come up being fairly conservative. And I was just always taught that that was that was bad. And so I remember I took like two swigs of vodka, and something changed physiologically inside of me. And I remember I just I tilted it back, and I remember waking up the next day, my friend waking me up, it was like 10 or 11 a.m. And I stood up and I fell back down. I had a huge scar across my head. Something had happened. I probably fell and hit my head or something um, covered in puke. And then I had to drive home and it was Mother's Day. So I ruined my mom's Mother's Day uh, my senior year in high school because um, I was dry heaving the entire day. And, you know, she had to basically take care of me. And so um, that was kind of the story for that, that whole summer, because I was partying three or four nights a week just to deal with the emotional trauma that I, I didn't know how to cope with. Cause it was the only time I felt like I could connect to who I really was. I didn't feel like I could do that in a sober state of mind. Um, I went to play, ended up playing college baseball well, going to play college baseball at a really small school. So, um, it was a, a division three school. They don't give athletic scholarships. So they gave me academic money. Um, and I just ended up going cause I didn't have anything else going for me. Two weeks in, I ended up getting extremely sick with Epstein-Barr virus, which is like an extreme form of mono. Basically what would happen is my throat would completely swell shut. I would get like 102, 103, 104 degree fevers and I would drive home. And then the doctors would give me two weeks of antibiotics. I would take it. It would disappear. But as soon as I ceased the antibiotics, the Epstein-Barr would come back. So it took them about six weeks or so to figure out that it was Epstein-Barr virus, or not six weeks, six months, excuse me. And then after that, I got my tonsils removed. I transferred home. I had chronic fatigue for about another year and a half after that. So I'm trying to get healthier at this point. And um, I had taken to weightlifting at a really young age. I had broken some weightlifting records in high school. And I had some friends that were no longer athletes that were getting into the bodybuilding and fitness scene. And they were like, this is something you might take well to. And now we're they were dabbling with steroids and they were like, you should give it a try. Um, you'll feel better. It'll like, it'll just be something that'll help you. And I was like, okay. So, you know, that was my first time ever injecting anything. And uh, I remember I took my first cycle of testosterone and I, I watched my body um, change right in front of my eyes over a 10 week period. And um, one 10 week planned cycle of steroids turned into about three years straight. Um, during that time, I also got into a really nasty relationship and ended up leaving home and going to live with her and her family. And it was toxic and verbally and emotionally abusive, both on my end and hers. And I completely own my role in that. 
Um, we were drinking and using almost every single day, it, along with, um, you know, her one parent of hers was, you know, hardcore as well and as far as use. And um, it got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. But because I didn't have the courage or the coping skills to deal with that, I actually ended up um, honestly just being a coward. And I left, I snuck out and I left in the middle of the night. I just packed my stuff up. And that's just the kind of person I was at the time. So I, I come back home and, and luckily my family allowed me to come back because um, I didn't have anything or a dime to my name. And uh, I started filling up all of my time with activities so that I didn't have to deal with all the issues that were going on inside of me. So um, I was going to school full time. I was training jujitsu. I was exercising. I was drinking and using every single day. And then I was working night shifts at night shift as a supervisor for um, a big global company. So um, wasn't really sleeping, was just hustling, and I was using coke and amphetamines to get me through and, and keep me moving forward. Um, ran myself into the ground, woke up one day, and I stood up and had the worst case of, of vertigo and um, adrenal fatigue you could ever imagine. Just frozen hands and feet, couldn't even function, felt detached from my body, just foggy. Um, and so at that point, I was super sick, and but we couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and so, well, I was still using though, but I, at the time I couldn't see that that was the problem. I was like, it can't be that, you know? And so uh, at that point I stopped everything besides working the, my job that was paying the bills and using. So I would work all night. I would come home. I would drink two to three bottles of wine and a bottle of NyQuil. So I would sleep all day. And then I would wake up that night and I would, um, you'd usually do at least a gram of Coke just to wake up and, and get out of bed. and. Um, and then I would sometimes use like amphetamine. So sometimes I can remember taking, I don't know, 10 to 16 Vyvans throughout the night and, and just, just crazy stuff, you know? And so I, I get to a point where uh, I completely hate myself. My health is in the gutter. I'm detached and apathetic. I no longer care about life. And I was having suicidal ideations and I was going to do it. And I, I wasn't even, I didn't tell anyone about it or anything. I was going to, I was going to do it. And in my darkest moment, um, I had my own version of a spiritual awakening and it's not something I can really ever articulate to anybody. And it wasn't some crazy profound experience where I went up into the light or anything like that, but it was just like, um, it was like a full on surrender. Like I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, and so like what I realized was those ideations of wanting to die and wanting to kill myself was really just God or my soul or whatever you may have it or see it as telling me like, um, it's time to die to those old ideas of yourself and that, that old version of yourself so that you can become something new. Um, and it was like, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to live this any, live this way anymore. And it, God was like, you don't have to. And so that's oh, my story yeah. in a nutshell. And as you're as saying all that stuff, so much resonated with me. You know, the NyQuil thing. I thought I was the only one who did that. And yeah. I'm more and more people are like, no, I used to drink NyQuil to fall asleep, right? And I yeah. did the same thing. And just like the first time drinking and blacking out and doing it again, a lot of people who don't suffer with, you know, addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever, they don't understand that because I actually had um, uh, my my when I was still working my corporate job, I remember about five years into my sobriety, one of the women that had maybe drank a handful of times in her life 
she blacked out for the first time on a weekend Mm. golf tournament, a company golf tournament. And I, I, you know, left after the golfing part of the tournament. Yeah. She came running around the next day to my desk and she slammed her hand on my desk and she goes, are you effing insane? And I said a little bit, why, why do you ask? And she goes, who in their right mind would black out and think it's good to do it again the next day? And I'm like, it, uh, it, me, that's why I don't drink anymore. Right. But you know, it changes everything. I remember the first time too, that I got drunk. It was like, oh, I'm not this awkward, shy, insecure kid anymore. Now Mm -hmm. I've come to my life is brighter, but it's brighter until it gets darker. And I had a very similar moment than you did that I just I was finally sick and tired of being sick and tired and I couldn't do it anymore. And so what did early recovery look like for you? Yeah, early recovery. You know, some might call it luck, but I believe that I was kind of being guided in this direction the whole time. Someone that I was fairly close to had had told me about a year before I had this, this rock bottom and epiphany moment that he was an alcoholic. And so when I hit this rock bottom moment and I was just honest about myself and I had come to terms with the fact that I was a drug addict and an alcoholic long before that, like I had just thought this was just going to be my life. It was just, I was just going to be a functional addict the rest of my life. But I hit him up and he was like, Hey, you know, let's go to, to a meeting. Super cool. Like glad you reached out. And I was like, okay, well, this is kind of weird. But anyways, um, I remember we, we went to my first meeting and it was right down. I didn't, I was never like a huge bar goer. I actually drank and used alone most of the time. And I would just think about what I really wanted to do with my life and how I wasn't there. But anyways, it's a little besides the point. So I went, um, to my first meeting, it was right down the street from the bar that I would, I would typically go to if I did go out. And I can remember walking in there and being like, there was like, it was big. It was like 70 people. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. And it was kind of overwhelming because everybody wanted to talk to me and everybody wanted to say hello. And I was like, I'm going to go down and drink after this. Like, so like, this is a waste of my time. Um, and it had, I had only been like two days sober at that point, right around 48 hours. And, um, I was like, Jesus, is this is terrible. I'm just, I don't want to live like this, but I sat there and I remember listening to some of the stories and thinking, oh my gosh, like these people are just like me. There's other people like me out there. And I was like, I need to get what these people got. Like, this is awesome. And so I became kind of uh, kind of curious as to what they had going on. And I, I came back and I, I kept going and we started working the steps. And I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge 12-stepper anymore. But at the time, it was really, really helpful because it gave me a clear plan and some action steps moving forward that I could do. Uh, and I've always been a believer in God anyway, so that that part wasn't a struggle, but um, it helped me to build upon that foundational belief that I did have in God. And one of the things that was really helpful to me was making an amends because I had hurt and harmed so many people. Um, and I had like stolen a lot of money from my parents and um, just things like that. So um, making amends. And so what happened was also a lot of those relationships, I had avoided dealing with all the issues. And I remember I actually went and every, if I had the opportunity to, to, and it wasn't going to put me in danger, I would physically go and I would make my amends with the person and it, it sucked. And, uh, but it felt so good afterward and it was such a weight off my shoulder. So early recovery was recovery was kind of comprised of just working the steps. But, um, you know, I, 
I relapsed twice and I, I think what it was, was I would get through the steps and then I would kind of have like that what now moment. And I, I wasn't really sure what to do. And so what I started doing was I started filling all of that time, just doing research and, and learning. And that's kind of how I developed my, my coaching practice and my, um, I call it my five tenets of health. It's just kind of an ideology I use for, for helping both myself and, and other people. And I, I started doing research and I went on this like long health and wellness journey. So um, that's kind of like how a recovery happened for me. And, and so it, it's really all been rooted in, in self-love and self-care. Absolutely. And I love how, you know, when you talk about the 12 steps, I believe too, that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. When we learn to have faith in a higher power and you say you already had, you know, for me, it was kind of like, mm -mm, I'm not doing that mm -hmm. like that. I'm going to, but eventually I had that spiritual moment where I was like, okay, I definitely believe now. Like I'm not, I would have been dead if there was, you know, no God or higher power <laughs> looking out for me. That's Absolutely. the reality of it. Right. But I think there's something so powerful with owning your part to things. And, you know, anybody who I've talked to about the 12 steps or anybody in my life that has followed my journey of recovery, when they see me doing the steps, because I do them quite regularly, they're always like, wow, everybody should do that. And I said, they really should, because you learn how to look at your part in things. You learn how to get over resentments. And I think so many people are plagued with that kind of stuff. So I love how you mentioned, right, that that was really the foundation. And then the other, you know, the what now moment. And so relapse for me is not part of my story yet. And I say mm -hmm. yet, because as you and I both know, it could happen very quickly, if mm -hmm. things are going really great, and you've let up on the things that are keeping you sober. But I think a big part of relapse not being a part of my story is that when I started to get complacent, I found my purpose. Like you said, you started doing that self-analysis. You started looking into what are you passionate about? I really believe that when people can discover their purpose and we're such go-getters, even as introverts, because I'm an introvert extrovert. But if we take, the, like we already have the skills to create this an amazing life. I mean, we're resilient, we're persistent, we're persuasive, right? We can do everything. And I think discovering your purpose, creating a life so good for yourself that you don't want to go back is such a big deal in not relapsing. That's why I help people do that. So for you, when did you discover your purpose? You know, your fitness, I know that was always kind of part of your life, but your coaching, how did that transpire? Mm, yeah. So, you know, I think like a lot of people in a way, my purpose was never this, this like super clear thing. It's just kind of evolved over time. And so for me, I, I've, I've gone on this like long search and I've been, I thought that I was going to be a teacher at one point. And then I thought I was going to be a personal trainer the rest of my life. And then I thought that I was going to go into physical therapy and then occupational therapy and then neuroscience. And I've just, I've, I've gone all over the place, but really what it's been about for me is just honing in on my strengths. So, and that just comes with just being honest and authentic about who you are as a person and what you truly enjoy. So um, I do a lot of like contemplative work. I just sit and I, I just, I just quiet myself and I just ask God, or I'll ask myself like contemplative questions, like um, what do you, what makes time stand still for you? You know? And for me, that's like two things that's exercise and having intimate um, relationships and, and conversations where I'm being of service to other people. Um, and so like honing in on those, those strengths over time, um, 
has been a big one for me. So something rooted in in relationships and health has been was super important. Like those were two musts for me. Um, you know, from there, I, I started doing my personal training, and that's grown over time. But I wasn't really getting the fulfillment that I was looking for out of just doing the, the fitness. I wanted to do something a little bit deeper with people, and so I asked myself. Um, I, I one of my big things is like don't coach what you don't know, because like. I feel like that can get you into some messy situations. So I, I asked myself, okay, well, what am I passionate about that I have experience with? And that is health and recovery and sobriety. So I was like, okay, well, how can I combine these two together into something that um, is going to create a life of passion for myself? So I, I just was like, okay, well, what's the best way I can help people? And what am I most comfortable with? And so I just used my pain of that, those two relapses at eight months apiece. And I was like, okay, I guarantee a lot of people are having this issue besides myself where they, they get to a certain point and they keep falling off at that same point every time. So now I'm going to use what I learned and I'm going to teach other people to do the same thing because there is something even better on the other side for them if they can keep going and push through that. So helping others to just, to just create a life of passion and connect to who they authentically want to be, um, I feel is my life purpose. And I think our purpose kind of changes and evolves over time. So, you know, I don't think I'll probably be doing what I, what I'm doing now in, in 10 years. And, um, but I think it'll each thing, like it compounds and it adds and it just evolves over time. So one thing leads to the next. So one thing I've learned is to just, um, I used to try to force everything to happen and to walk through a lot of closed doors and red lights in my life. And now what I do is I allow and I trust and I have faith in the process and just do what's right in front of me. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I love how, I mean, you talk about darkness as your greatest asset. And I always, like, I had one of my mentors when I was thinking about getting into podcasting and then talking about getting into coaching. And she said, you know, why wouldn't you? And I said, well, I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I don't have the experience. She's like, Tamar, you've got 22 years of addiction, codependency. Like, you've literally been addicted to everything you can't tell me that you can't help people in recovery take their life to a new level like look at what you've done and so now i try to promote that like using your darkness as your biggest asset because it really is like we're i find myself very fortunate i don't know about you but learning to recognize you know and how did how did you finally realize, you know, because it took me a few years. I mean, I think it was probably till about year six in my recovery that I'm like, wait a minute, this is pretty good experience. Like I've got a ton of life experience that not even a doctor could really compete with because, you know, they don't know unless they've been through it kind of thing. So when did you finally come to that realization? Like, hey, my past is actually a gift. Yeah. So when I had my rock bottom moment, I made a firm commitment to myself that I would never, ever quit or give up on myself ever again. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, can you re-ask the question? I, I, I have so <laughs> many things going through my mind right now and I, there's so many different directions I could take it. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. So using your, like, when did you know and realize that your past was actually and your darkness was a gift. Okay. Yeah. So I made a firm commitment to myself that I would never, ever give up on myself again, because I, that pain of, of quitting and giving up on myself 
drove me insane. And that's what was causing me to, to drink and use in reflection. It was that pain of just like giving in, like allowing other people to control me or allowing other people to um, dictate my own happiness. And so um, I think over time, it, it's just, it's continued. I, I keep having more and more insights over time. And I, I look back at all those failures and I'm just like, oh, this is awesome because everything's such a learning opportunity for me. So I love to fail now because I'm just like, I'm going to get something out of it. Um, and so I think for me, it's just been all about embracing the failures and yeah, just, just not trying to force things anymore. Just, just using everything as a, as a learning opportunity and just realizing that every, every single time that we have something painful um, or traumatic in our life, it's just coming in as a, as a learning opportunity. And I don't mean to, you know, to, um, to like be disrespectful to anybody who's any, any magnitude of any type of traumatic experience, but it can be used as a learning opportunity. If you give yourself permission to learn the lesson, but a lot of people aren't willing to give themselves permission, um, to move through things. They try to avoid things. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And you, I'm actually just reading a book by Napoleon Hill's book, uh, Outwitting the Devil. And mm -hmm. it taught, he says in there, the urge to continue has to be stronger than the urge to quit. And mm -hmm. when you said that, that when I read that, I was like, oh, it's so true, right? Because I'm used to quitting. I lived a life where every time something happened, that's it. I throw in the towel. And now I have this like almost obsessive desire to continue to grow. Like, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, what next? What next? What next? Right? Because I just, I love this feeling of being way outside of my comfort zone. So mm -hmm. when you work with your clients, you, you know, your big thing is helping people reinvent themselves. So what does that mm -hmm. look like? Sure. So I've developed like my five tenets of health over time. So you've got exercise and energy management. You've got I call it rest, but really ultimately it's just making sure that you're getting adequate sleep and just simple things like that. Um, nutrition and diet. So are you getting the right fuel? Um, do you have a spiritual practice as number four and number five is relationships. So right, I feel like those are the five things that I really had to um, dial in and completely revamp in my life so that I could live um, a really holistic and connected life. So, um, you know, we'll start with number one exercise is like, do you get enough movement and exercise that stimulates you, but that doesn't burn you out, roast your nervous system out, um, or take away from your quality of life. Cause you can have an exercise addiction too. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people roast themselves out in that way. Um, number two, do you get enough sleep or rest? So pretty simple stuff for the most part. Um, but it's looked over by a lot of people. Um, you know, do you get eight hours of sleep a night? We, we, we should be making sure that we're getting, um, you know, the proper amount of REM cycles. There's different ways you can do it. I, I believe I read recently that you can do like um, two four-hour chunks of sleep as opposed to one eight-hour chunk of sleep and, and get almost the same effect. Um, I, I'm, I would have a hard time believing that it's as optimal as eight straight, but hey, whatever. I mean, it's an option. Um, number three is nutrition and diet. Do you fuel your body with, with the right foods? Um, I'm learning that nutrition is extremely individual, a lot of times based off of our genetics and um, like our, our gut. So, um, you know, that can take some toying with, but once I dialed in my diet, um, my brain has functioned so much better. I have so much more energy. I'm sleeping better. Um, I recover faster. I'm way more resilient. And, 
um, it just feels so good. And so that's a big one for a lot of people because a lot of people are eating tons of sugar and junk. So uh, number four, spiritual practice. So spiritual practice can be a lot of different things. Um, for me, it's prayer and meditation, but it doesn't have to be. Some people are, are atheists, um, and that's totally okay. You could, I consider journaling a spiritual practice. So that's a good one for people who are um, believers in God. It's a great way for them just to connect with um, who they are, where they want to be, and where they want to go. And then the last one is relationships. Do you have relationships with people in your life that cultivate you, lift you up, and make you feel better about yourself? Um, because a lot of us are actually stuck in toxic relationships. And the hard part is a lot of times when we're in recovery, we're still stuck being around the same type of people that, that we were around when we were sick or that were a reflection of the past versions of us. So relationships, in my opinion, is actually probably the hardest one to work through. Oh, I can totally relate. I actually, when I first got sober, I tried to still hang out with the people that I hung out with before because I was mm -hmm. going through that. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm grieving because now I've left all these people that I thought were my friends. And I slowly came to realize that it does make a difference who I surround myself with. And I think that's so cool about, you know, the niche that we're in, in recovery and especially being, I love how you said entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. I never heard yeah. that before, you know, but entrepreneurs in recovery, as you know, we meet all these really cool people and all of us have this mission to help others. We're all other people centered. Mm -hmm. And that alone has made a massive difference in my life because I don't really have time to hang out anymore with people who are negative and always focusing on the bad because there's so much good stuff happening yeah. that it makes a huge difference. And it also, by doing what you love, by surrounding yourself with the right people, it also allows you to show up better for the people in your life that you mm -hmm. care about. Yeah, yeah. We, we a lot of times we get stuck in um, expectations and obligations, and that only creates mis <laughs> misery for us. I always say the only person I'm obligated to is God. Um, and to me, that just means that I just continue to show up and be the best that I can be every day on a moment to moment basis. Um, and try to always treat other people with respect because I haven't always been that guy. So um, that's my philosophy as far as relationships go. It's it's simple, but it works for me. Um, and that's it keeps me showing up every day. Absolutely. So what keeps you motivated and inspired today? Mm -hmm. Well, I think my darkness at being my greatest asset keeps me motivated. I, I never want to go back to that place, but I'm so grateful for it. It taught me all the lessons in life that I was lacking up to this point. Um, and so I think just my passion for, I love life. Like I really genuinely love life. I get excited even as an introvert to get up and talk to people each day because um, I get to have like insightful conversations and I get to learn from other people and I get to share my story and help others. And so um, I think just like getting outside myself and being of service is the thing that excites me the most. And um, I think, you know, honestly, I've seen such a change in, in myself and I believe that God has really worked inside of me and he's really given me a change of mind and heart and spirit. And I just have so much love to give that I just like want to love other people and I want to help other people love themselves because if you don't have self-love, like there's really no point to life. So that's really my, if I were to just break everything away and, and dumb it down and simplify it to one thing, I, I just want to love people. Mm. I love that. And it, it shows, right? I think I've been told the same thing as when I'm talking about this kind of stuff and my recovery, 
it it shows right and you can tell that people are passionate about what they do so if people want to learn more and get in touch with you how can they reach you yeah so the best place right now is on instagram you can find me at sober fit alex um sober fit f-i-t alex a-l-e-x um you can also find me on facebook at alex bales just shoot me a message. Um, and then I, I'm offering right now, you can do a free consultation with me. And then there's two different types of packages you can do. You can do um, three phone calls with me, or you can do a long-term coaching package over 12 weeks, which gets really detailed. Um, we go over your five tenets of health and I break everything down and we get um, you get your weekly action steps and we work throughout all kinds of different traumas and, uh, and health, uh, health issues together. So it's very exciting stuff. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Very grateful to be here. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, maybe you've overcome addiction and or adversity and you have found your purpose as a result of the experience that you've been through, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email at tamar at theroadforward.ca and maybe you can be a future guest of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.